Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Good morning. Open your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. While you're turning there... Let me say how important it is that uh, you have these cards. Do you know that God will put you at the right place at the right time? And if you'll have eyes to see and willing hands to do, God will do His work through you. And it just could be pretty awesome. Let me give you two examples. I just found out this morning that uh, uh, Bob Murphy's son was doing some surveying out in the country somewhere. And, you know, doing like where you hold a stick and you measure and stuff. As he was doing the survey, he noticed smoke coming from a farmhouse. So he told his partner, call 911, and he ran to the farmhouse. When he got there, there were two people inside and two dogs that he went in and rescued and got out. And then uh, the house was a total loss, but suffice it to say, they didn't apparently know there was a fire, and he saved their life. Now, what are the odds? What are the odds that you'd have uh, Bobby Murphy in the middle of nowhere, doing a survey at the exact time that there would be a fire in a house where they needed help getting out. That, I believe, is God using people to carry out His purposes. Yesterday, Double Bridge Run. Did you know that happened? You know, yes, because you ran it. You ran it. Uh, Yesterday, coming over the bridge, a man uh, in his early 60s began to stumble and fall to the ground. He was having a massive heart attack. One of the police officers at the foot of the bridge saw it, and so he radioed his partner. They got to him, and they began CPR. The man had become blue and unresponsive. Before we ever got to him, before the ambulance ever arrived, this man was breathing on his own because an officer was noticed officer noticed what was going on. He used his training and the hand of God blowing through him, and he was able to be alive today. Let me tell you, they, those officers got up, and they're like, wow, we've never, seen, we've never had this happen before. It just so happens that God does his best work through people. Amen? You, some of you, are going to be in a prison, and while you're there, you're going to have the exact story that somebody in the cell needs to hear. You might think, man, my story is nothing. No, your story is the exact story that they need to hear. And simply because you went, God is going to use your voice to speak his truth. Some of you are going to be at PSC, and you're going to be flipping burgers, and you're going to hand it to somebody and probably make some some remark that was meant to be humorous, and it'll start a conversation, and the person that you're talking to is going to find life because you chose to go and flip a burger. There's going to be some place in this world that because you chose to get on a team to strategize to reach an unengaged, unreached people group, they will know the name of Jesus simply because you said, Lord, use me. Here I am. Can I tell you something really cool? Next week, we're going to baptize Drew. This is Drew right here. That is next week, right? We're going to baptize Drew. He's trusted Jesus, but he's never been baptized. But here's the really cool part. He is feeling a call of God to full-time missions on his life. And he just so happens to maybe want to help with this UUPG. What if out of our church, God sent our first missionary to an unengaged, unre... I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm saying what if it did happen, right? 
Is this exciting or what? I'm sorry, but I just can't help but to share how God is moving. Amen? Amen. So you are in John chapter 11. I'm going to show you, though, a verse or two in Psalms. So stay in John 11. Psalm 10, verse 1 says this, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Psalm 14, or Psalm 13, a Psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? You know, there are dozens and dozens of Psalms where the psalmist is crying out to God to be present, to show himself. The truth is, there's a question that many of us either have asked or we will ask in the future. And the question is this, where was God when I needed him the most? You ever asked that question? Have you ever wondered why in your deepest, darkest, most difficult time, God seemed to have been absent? And isn't it true that if we perceive God to be absent, we perceive him to not care? And if we perceive him to not care, he must not care because he doesn't love us? The fact of the matter is, all of us at some point in our life have felt abandoned by God. Many of us in the future part of our life will feel abandoned by God as well. What I want to say to you is this. There's not a believer in history who hasn't wrestled with the felt presence of God. Some of the greatest saints that we've ever known that that are recorded in Scripture and that are recorded in history, they have felt like God has abandoned them. But I want to say to you this. God does not abandon His children. But he does sometimes become slow to show up. And the difference is, while he is present, we just don't see him in the way that we think we should see him. And that's really where the disconnect is. Because the truth of God's word says that Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So we have ample evidence in scripture that says God is there But we're confused because if God was there, why does it feel so alone and desperate? And to that I want to ask you to turn, if you haven't already, to John chapter 11. By the way, um, occasionally throughout the week I feel great compulsion to preach certain uh, passages. This week I've had a great, a great sense that God has this message for somebody, either in this room or somebody watching online or somebody watching on TV. There's somebody who is, who is hurt, maybe angry, maybe despondent, that God didn't show up. And you're confused as to why. I want you to know that this is the way God is answering that question. He's heard you and he's seen you, and he wants you to know now he does not abandon his own. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. So here's the story. 
A man by the name of Lazarus, he had a sister named Martha and a sister named Mary, and they lived in a home in a place called Bethany, which was about two miles away from, from Jerusalem, Jerusalem being the capital city for the Jews. And because Lazarus was sick, the sisters would have been caring for him, intending for him, but the situation got dire. He got more and more sick. He became sick to the point where they said, somebody better call Jesus. And so Martha stepped out of the room and she put on a Facebook post and tagged Jesus on it. No, you see, it's funny because we actually, when we read biblical stories, we, we, we superimpose our reality onto theirs. We think that she could have just called or, or, or sent an email or sent a text. But the truth is, Jesus at this time, according to Scripture, was on the other side of the Jordan. So way north and to the east or west, I can't remember my map is, over that way. He was a good long ways away. And so somebody had to physically go to find Jesus. And it's not like he had a personal tracker on him, so they actually had to go to a town and say, hey, where's Jesus? Oh, he's over that way. So it would have been a couple of days to get word to him. When the word got to Jesus, Jesus' response was less than admirable. Before we get there, though, the Scripture gives us some details about the relationship of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus. The Bible says that Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother that was sick. So, And then Martha says, the one you love is sick. So there was a unique bond that Jesus had with these three. There was a special kind of love. He had been there with them. Mary had anointed Jesus' feet with oil and wiped his feet with her hair. This is the most humiliating thing a woman could possibly have done. And she did it in front of a crowd of people. She humiliated herself. She gave everything she had for Jesus. She, she basically let it all hang out, so to speak. She, she put herself out there, and Jesus responded with grace and love and mercy, and that special bond was given. So there's no doubt in my mind that Mary and Martha loved Jesus. There's no doubt that Lazarus loved Jesus, right? And yet Jesus didn't reciprocate that love, or so it seems. The next verse tells us, In verse 4, when Jesus heard the news, he said, the sick, This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha. See, do you need any more proof? He loved Martha and Mary uh, and Lazarus. And so when he heard he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Do you see the disconnect here? The Bible just said that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus loved Jesus. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And yet when Jesus heard the news, the one that you love is sick, Jesus' response was, okay, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait two more days. Certainly the disciples were looking and they were saying, what's going on here? You know, Jesus, if you hurry, we can get there and you can probably do something to bring yourself glory. See, in their minds, what they were thinking was the glory of God is revealed by Lazarus being healed from a sickness. In their minds, that was what was needed in this situation. And so the first thing we need to know when we see, when it feels like God is absent is this. What we see does not always reflect 
reality. It does not always reflect what God sees. See, what we see is the initial situation and our own fix to it. What God sees is there's something bigger than I'm doing through this whole scenario. And Jesus gives us this clue by saying these words. He said, now, uh, he said, uh, where am I here? This sickness will not end in death, verse 4, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What Jesus is seeing is, the, is this. There's an eternal purpose that he wants to bring about. There is a, there is a message of his own personhood, of his own, di, uh, of, of his own uh, uh, divine uh, nature that he wants to establish. And the only way to establish this truth or these truths is through the suffering of this man that God will bring into uh, a, a, a different reality for, through or from that suffering. Let me say it differently. We think that God is obligated because He loves us to fix all of our problems. We think that because God loves us, if God loves us, He is going to always rescue us from the fire. And we have plenty of scriptural evidence that says that God does that oftentimes. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The Bible says that they were persecuted because their belief in God. They were thrown into the fiery furnace that was lit up ten times more than it was before. And even though they were thrown into it, uh, uh, they were unbound and walking around in the fire. When they came out, they didn't even have a singed hair on them. They didn't even smell like burnt hair. I have burnt hair on my face before. Don't ask me how, but if you take a grill, you turn on the gas, and then you light the match, poof, right? I've been, I've been hairless right up in here more than one time. I have a friar that likes to do that to me. But, but these men came out of the fire with not a, not a stench on them. So we know God delivers. We know God had delivered Daniel from the lions. We love these deliverance stories, right? Those are the stories we expect. But what if God doesn't deliver in that way? And in fact, we have plenty of biblical stories where God does not deliver. The most exa primary example is Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. He could have cried out, Father, or he could have cried out, Lord, uh, forget them, save me, rescue me. God could have delivered, but he didn't. The Bible tells us that through his suffering, your salvation was purchased. Because the only way for God to carry out his purpose in that situation was that, was that Jesus would die in your place. Does this make sense? So to think that suffering will always be relinquished by God is just not good theology. Suffering will sometimes temporarily or earthly-wise be relieved by God, and sometimes suffering will lead to death. But whether or not we are relieved in, in, in the temporary suffering here or whether or not it's in death, we have to understand that God's purpose is always what he has in mind. You know, I think of um, I, I, I think of all of the biblical heroes, and not one single one lived a life without suffering. Not one single one lived a life without the evil uh, and wickedness of the world uh, uh, trying to pounce on them. I mean, you, who do you want to name? David, Saul, uh, Solomon. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, the, the founding uh, fathers, 
Peter, Thomas, James, all of them. Jesus. So we're going to endure suffering. And the question is, where is God in the midst of that? When you need Him most, where is He? Well, He is right there, even though He's not always right there. By right there, what I mean is he's always seeing, he's always hearing, he's always understanding. He knows what's going on. And whether or not he waits to come or whether or not he comes immediately is determined by what God is doing in the bigger picture of the situation. Do you know that if Jesus would have come and healed Lazarus, everybody would have been like, go Jesus! But then they would know Jesus as the great healer. They would have missed the bigger Per, a bigger picture of who Jesus is. Listen, I'm glad Jesus is a great healer. Don't get me wrong. I love that about him. But I love more to the fact that he's the resurrector of the dead. I love the fact that I can be sick and made well. But I love the fact even more that I can be dead and made alive. Jesus said, you want a small miracle. I want to give you something bigger. And so, after he waited two days, Jesus said, let's go to Judea. Could you imagine how confused the disciples were? He's like, okay, Lazarus is sick. Okay, we're going to wait. Two days later, okay, now let's go. Wait a minute. Why didn't you go two days ago? Because I have a plan. Verse 8, Rabbi, the disciples said, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you want to go back to Judea? See, here's the situation. Bethany being so close to Jerusalem meant that Jesus was putting himself back into a dangerous place. They were close to having the last week of Jesus' life. This is almost towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And so by going back to Jerusalem, the disciples were saying, wait a minute, you're going to put yourself in danger of death if you do that. And Jesus' response quite simply, in the Greek, is this. I ain't scared. Now, the Greek doesn't say that, but that's what the Greek says. Here's what it says. Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. If anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. In other words, when God is leading you, there's nothing that you need to be afraid of. When you're walking in God's spirit, when you're obedient to what he's calling you to do, nothing you need to be afraid of and nothing you need to be ashamed of because God goes before you, he goes behind you, and he goes beside you. Sometimes he does that and you don't feel it, but your feelings can fail you. Listen, your feelings can fail you. I remember times in my life where I've cried out to God and God just didn't seem to care and after I looked back on it, I realized that what God was doing was drawing me closer to his ear. He was bending me closer to his heart. And he wanted more of my character to be built than my feelings to be satisfied. You know, speaking of trials and troubles, my friend Levi, I think I told you this before. My friend Levi, we were having a conversation. And he said, Jeff, you know that nothing uh, there's nothing alive on a mountaintop, right? Everybody wants to be on the mountaintop. They always want to be up here. But the only thing you really get up here is a good view. You know on a mountaintop it's cold? You know on a mountaintop it's lonely? And on a mountaintop the only thing that's there is rocks and snow. Now I'm talking about like the Himalayas, you know, Pikes Peak. When you go there, there's nothing alive because the air is too thin. 
So listen, mountaintops are cool, but you want to know where the real beauty is? From the mountaintop, you get to see beauty. It's in the valley, though, that you get to feel beauty. In the valley, you've got these lush meadows, and you've got these flowers that come up, and you've got all of this this creation that God has, has built. You've got wild animals and all these things. But isn't it interesting that in the most beautiful parts of life are also some of the most dangerous and scary parts of life? You ever notice how that works? Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have in mind this valley that's like um, uh, after Mufasa has its way in the Lion King, right? This valley of black. No, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's, it's, it's actually a place of danger because you've got places where people can hide and if they've got the high ground, they can hurt you. But you're walking through a beautiful place, even though it's scary, And even though it can be dangerous, life is like that. Even though it's tough, we know God's presence more in the valley than we could ever really possibly know on the mountaintop. And so Jesus continues. The Bible says, I need to turn my page here. I'm going to put this. Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. And then the disciples, being the disciples, oh, if he's only asleep, he'll wake up, he'll be fine. Isn't it funny how so often we misunderstand what God is doing? Isn't it funny how we so often get the purposes of God confused with what we actually want? The disciples were so dense sometimes, but before you're too hard on them, realize that you and I are dense sometimes. Jesus, after saying that, he, he, he said, okay, I'm just going to have to tell you plainly. Jesus was speaking about his death, and so he said plainly, Lazarus has died. And I'm going, uh, and I'm glad that you were, that I, I'm glad for you that I was not there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. There we have a, 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 a clue as to why Jesus waited. He waited so that he could demonstrate to his disciples and to the crowd his lordship over everything. His power that is unrivaled. His ability to speak life into death. He said, I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake, so that now you will see and believe that I am who I always said that I am. Listen, whatever struggle you're going through, whatever valley that you're in, the tendency is to look around and feel like God should be doing more. But I can promise you, based on the authority of God's Word, that God is doing everything He needs to do and everything He desires to do for His glory and for your hope. How, do we, how can I say that? Because His glory is always His number one concern and your hope as His child is second in line to that. He loves His children. But see, there is a key as well. His children. Do you know that we're not all God's children? You know, the Bible says that there are two fathers. You've got our Father in heaven and you've got a father who's a devil. Just because you call out to God doesn't necessarily mean God is present. You say, well, how can you say that? Here's how. If you are a person who has rejected God, 
If you're a person who said, God, I don't want you, I don't need you, I want to live my own life, and time after time after time you push him to the corner and you say to him, no, stay out of my way, stay out of my life, it should not surprise you that when you call out to him, if you've rejected him in the past and you call out to him just to get something from him but not wanting him, he's not obligated to show up. Matter of fact, I was shown this very clearly with my own dogs in the last couple of weeks. I have three dogs, Black Lab, a Jack Russell, and a Beagle. I was looking at the news, and it said it was going to get super cold, like in the 20s. And so I said, I'm going, to, I'm going to keep my dogs warm tonight. They're outside dogs. They don't live in the house. They don't come in the house. They stay outside in the backyard, and they, believe me, they love it. I've talked to them. We're totally good with this arrangement. I mean, they, they really, they, they love it. So I went out and I opened the shed and I took a, a heater and I plugged it in and I turned it on high and I, I'm, I'm warming myself because I can feel it's getting cold. And so I go out and I call my dogs, Bailey, uh, what are my dogs' names? Brandy, honey, that's right. They, they, they're all, I, I, I love my dogs, I really do. I just, I can't even remember my kids' names, not even my dogs. Bailey, Brandy, hun, uh, Brandy honey. Bailey comes immediately. She's like, yes, yes, I'm here. Like, come on in. She comes on in, and she gets in front of the heater. She's like, ah. Should be no surprise that she's the old dog. She's the Jack Russell. She's old, right? She's like 18 years old. Okay, not that old, but she's getting there. Any day now, we're figuring. She's, anyways. She goes in, but Bailey and Honey, the Black Lab and the Beagle, they're all like, ooh, I know what you're doing, I got you. You're not catching me. And so I go out and I try, and, and they're running from me. And I'm like, you know what? Forget this. I'm not going to chase you. So I go and I close the door and I let the two, I'm, I, I literally say to myself, I've tried everything I can do to keep you safe and to keep you warm. You've been rejecting my offer, so okay. The next morning, these two dogs are on the porch and they're, they're like, hey, kind of a long night out here. I'm like, yeah, you, okay, we didn't have this conversation, but in my head, this is what was going on. I actually went to the shed, no joke, I opened the door, and that Jack Russell was like, <sighs> right in front of the heater. I'm like, you smart dog. Well, the next night, it was supposed to get cold again, so I go to try again. This time, I take food, and I throw it in there. They're all run in there, and I'm like, shut the door and lock it. And I'm like, whew, got them. Somewhere around three or four in the morning, I hear this barking. I'm like, are you kidding me? They're like, let us out in bark language. The next morning I get up and I go over there. They had chewed the baseboards and they had scratched desperately trying to get out. So I opened the door and here's what I said. Never again am I going to put you in the shed. I've tried everything I can do to keep you warm, but you've rejected it. Therefore, you are on your own. And in that moment, I kid you not, God said, that's exactly what people do with me all the time. They think I'm trying to harm them. They think I'm trying to hurt them. I'm trying to rescue them. But at some point, God says, I will give you what you ask. Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, no God. And so God says, okay. The Bible actually says, I believe it's in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, that there's a point at which you can move outside of God's grace. In other words, God stops pursuing you. He, he, he says, no longer. 
And at that point, you cannot be saved. That is a scary place to be. So the wicked cry out to God in times of trouble. And if the heart is humble, God so often extends mercy and grace. But listen very closely. He is not obligated to do so. But for the believer, it's another story. Every time you cry out to the Father because you are His child, because you know Him and He knows you, He is always there, even though you may not see Him, even though you may not feel Him, but He is there because the Bible tells us again, if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. I've got to finish up this passage because of time. But Mary, or Jesus comes to... uh, uh, where they are, Martha comes out and she says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. She wasn't so much accusing him, but she was displaying the brokenness that she had. Jesus' response to her was the point of this whole scenario. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is what Jesus wants you to know. He is the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in him will never die. You say, well, how is that possible? See, the Bible speaks of two deaths. There's a physical death. That's when the body dies. And there's a spiritual death. That's when the soul dies. When our body dies, eternity is next. In eternity, we will, spend, uh, we will spend all of eternity in one of two places, according to the Bible. A place called heaven and a place called hell. Those who go to heaven are those who've trusted in what Jesus Christ has done on a cross by giving His life as an exchange for ours. He died. He carried the sin of the way, the sin of the world on himself by taking the just penalty of that sin on himself so that you and I could be declared righteous before God. So when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, even though physically you will die, eternally you will live according to the scripture. But the Bible also says, he who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son does not have life. So if you reject Jesus and the the sacrifice that he made, then your eternity is spent separated from God in what the Bible calls hell. You say, well, what is hell like? The the, the best way I can describe it is this, in, in, in simple terms. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. When you're in the presence of God, you have all of the things that God is, all of His character, all of His nature. The fruit of the Spirit is a description of the nature, the character of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if you take away God for all of eternity, hell is a place where there is no love, there is no joy, there is no peace, there is no patience, there is no kindness, there is no goodness, there is no gentleness, there is no faithfulness, there is no self-control. Now the biblical description of hell is, is a place of everlasting fire. It's a place where there's tormenting. It's a place where there is no God. 
So for a person to go to hell is, is only possible if Jesus is rejected. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So the only way for, you say, well, how could good God send a person to hell? He doesn't send a person to hell. He lets them go where they've demanded that they go because they've said, no God. They will get the just penalty for their own sin because they refused to receive the just uh, righteousness that comes from God through his son's sacrifice on a cross. I say all of that to say this. The whole purpose of this story is to declare that Jesus Christ has power over death, hell, and the grave. He truly is God. This morning I set before you life and death. Life found through Jesus Christ. Death found through a rejection of Jesus Christ. If you trust in Jesus Christ... You will face trials and you will have struggles and you will have difficulties in this life. God has promised it because you still live in a broken, fallen, sinful world. But you'll never face those things alone. Sometimes you might feel alone, but God is not far from you. If you live this life separated from Him, you will have those same trials and you'll have those same struggles, but you just don't have the presence and the nearness of God to carry you through them. And once this life is over, your lot is an eternal separation from God. Can I just tell you how much God loves you? It's a very simple picture. God loves you this much. When the thorns or the, the nails went into the bones of his wrist, when he hung upon a cross, he was giving himself as a bridge, as a mediator between God and man, how could anyone reject such love? The rest of the story? The rest of the story is pretty cool. Jesus saw their weeping. He said, show me the tomb. They went to the tomb. He said, roll away the stone. Martha was like, um, he stinketh. He's been dead four days. Why would, it, why would the Scripture record he's been dead four days? This is really cool. Because the Jews believed that the spirit of a man hovered around the body for three days. But after three days, the spirit would leave because there is at that time no hope. All is lost. Death has won. Jesus waited so that it would be four days in the grave, so that everybody would know it is impossible for this man to live again. And yet Jesus said, roll away the stone. And Lazarus was called out to by name. Lazarus, the Bible says, he commanded loudly, come forth. Lazarus came out of the grave, bound in those grave clothes, and yet as alive as he has ever been. In fact, I'd say he's more alive than he was because the man went to death. And came back. Can I just tell you? I'm much rather, I would much rather see a resurrection than a healing. Wouldn't you? So let me give you a couple of verses and I'm done. I'm a little over my time. Forgive me. So 
We see death as the most awful thing that could possibly happen. Let me tell you what God says about death. In Isaiah chapter 57, it says, The righteous person, person perishes and no one takes it to heart. The faithful are taken away with no one realizing that a righteous person is taken away because of evil. He will enter into peace. They will rest on their beds and everyone or they will rest on their beds, everyone who lives uprightly. In other words, death is a sweet relief from the pains and the sorrows of this world. Never, never be afraid of what's on the other side if you know Jesus. Because the Bible gives us an example or a little, a little taste of it. No more crying, no more tears, no more suffering, no more diabetes, no more need for glasses or contacts, no more overweight, no more underweight, no more broken bones, no more sin, no more stress, no more worry, maybe even no more work. I don't know, because work seemed to be the curse, curse to Adam and Eve, right? So, so I'm just thinking maybe we're going to fish all day. Who knows? But all I can tell you is words cannot describe what God has prepared for those who love him. So that's the one thing. Death is not the worst that could happen. In fact, I'm actually convinced that the older we get, the more of the world that we see, the more we turn our eyes from what's earthly into what's eternal. I've seen some godly people at 90 years old longing to go see Jesus. And it's taught me a lot. It's taught me that, you know what? This world is but a blip in the scope of all eternity. Let me give the final passage, and here's what I said earlier. Psalm 139. You had no idea, did you? Lord, you have searched me, and you know me when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts that are far away, or from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It's too lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live on the eastern horizon or settle on the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Dark and light are alike to you. Where is God when you need Him the most? He's right there with you. If your trust is in Him. We you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? We're going to take, <coughs> take a moment just to give you a chance to respond. What is it that God is doing in you right now? What part of your story is He, is he building if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, maybe you're watching by Facebook or television, would you trust Him now? The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. But maybe you are a believer. But maybe you're questioning the goodness of God. May I invite you to stillness and to opening up God's Word and letting him draw you closer to whisper into your ear exactly who he is and what he's doing in you. This morning I firmly believe that somebody in this room 
is at the edge of a decision that is life-changing for you. I don't have any idea what it is, but all God is waiting for you to do is say yes and step over that line. Would you simply yield to Him? Father, You are so good in all Your ways. Father, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your kindness. Lord, with Your people here today, I pray that You would you would make your face shine upon us. God, I pray that you'd give us the patience that we need to wait upon you. I pray that you would mature us. You would grow us. God, I pray that even in the midst of the darkness around us, you would shine a light. Even if it's a pin light, shine your light on the truth that we need to hold on to. Thank you in Jesus' name. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.